Welcome to Target Cancer, a podcast about how health technology is affecting lives and changing the world for patients and oncologists. All right, Shaney, how are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Can you hear me okay? I can. Can you hear me okay? I hear you loud and clear. Perfect. Perfect. So very nice to meet you. My name is Mika. Um, I work for a company called Excures. Our company works with cancer patients and their doctors. We help people basically organize the information um, of their cancer case and get it organized so that they can, you know, as they go see different uh, providers, they can have it easily referenceable and shareable. Um, we also help with decision-making around what are appropriate treatment options um, for advanced cancer cases. Um, but we put this podcast together, and what I really like to do on it is really to hear from um, cancer patients, to hear about their journey, to try and share some of the learnings and the experiences that people have, because I think that cancer is the type of thing I always say that you don't really learn very much about unless you happen to work in an industry like directly related to cancer or you have cancer. And so being able to get the information out there. So uh, with that said, can you tell me a little bit about you and, and your journey, and and uh, thank you for coming on board. Yeah, thanks for having me. I love getting to hear other people's stories, and every time I do and I hear about people um, going through a process of getting diagnosed, either where they're misdiagnosed or they themselves are true about their symptoms, I always think how lucky I am. Um, my experience was that uh, in 2009, so a couple of years ago, um, I had some blood in my stool, and that was the only mm -hmm. symptom I had. Um, I work in healthcare. <laughs> I work for a medical association, so I work with a lot of doctors. Um, yeah. So I immediately contacted my primary care provider, uh, like within days of that, and was able to get an appointment. He took it very seriously. I was 49 at the time. Uh, I was exceptionally athletic, like very fit, not just for my age, but just very fit. Um, you know, I had this great diet. I just basically, I had never smoked. I wasn't a drinker. I had no risk factors, but he still took it very, very seriously and referred me for a diagnostic colonoscopy. So from the time I saw blood, had my first um, symptom until I had that colonoscopy was five weeks, maybe five or six weeks total. Um, I had the colonoscopy. I I knew the gastroenterologist uh, because of my my job. Um, and when he came in after the colonoscopy, he actually wasn't able to complete the colonoscopy because there was a tumor, and it was big enough that he didn't feel comfortable completing the colonoscopy. Um, he gave me the option to call and make an appointment with uh, imaging or I could go upstairs and I said you know what let's just deal with this and I went upstairs and I waited for a walk-in and the next day they called to tell me that there was also a tumor in my liver so I had stage four wow. um but after so this was a, a walk-in for oh, you mean a walk-in for an appointment with the oncologist or no with the for, for a ct scan for ct got it yeah okay. so instead of you know, instead of having to wait, I, I knew within a day of my colonoscopy that I also had a mass in my liver. Right. And, and working in healthcare, you must have known kind of what that meant. How, how did that, how did you go through that? That's a very scary experience, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, for anybody, yeah. regardless of where you work. And as, you know, Jelena mentioned uh, her kid, that was my very first thought. You know, at the time, my sons were 12 and 17. I'm single parent. 
And that was my very first thought is, oh my gosh, my kids, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, being who I am working in public health, I did Google, <laughs> which I don't recommend. I saw some of the prognosis, but I checked myself and I had a whole conversation with myself about prognostic data, uh, you know, and I basically said, listen, that's um, aggregate data. That's everybody who's been diagnosed of every age, every lifestyle, every history, all of that thrown into that prognosis. That's not you, you're an individual. So you need to just set that aside and you need to focus on what your plan is and uh shady can i can i stop you you just said something i think that's so important that i i think coming from healthcare uh, i think you understand and i hear about it a lot which is can you just explain that idea that like there's all this data out there and like you said we'll google it and you'll be like oh no this is like the worst thing that could happen but it's just a bunch of numbers can you can you just kind of reiterate that discussion you had with yourself like what were you telling yourself because i think that's super important for people to understand yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you Google and you see stage four cancer, uh, colon cancer diagnosis, you know, it's 12% five-year survival rate. And it's very easy in that moment to say, oh my God, in five years, there's only a 12% chance that I'm going to be alive, which isn't an exact great interpretation of the data. Um, but the reality is, is that when we're looking at data like this, it really is a compilation of all the information from people who have had this diagnosis. So it's people who are 85 years old and have a strong family history. It's people who are 29 years old and have had this diagnosis. It's people with Lynch syndrome. It's everybody who gets this diagnosis. Um, And the other thing I would say about the diagnosis, which I don't think we talk about a lot, is that there are lots of different types of colon cancer right? Not everybody has the same exact colon cancer. There's different types of mutations. There's different types of tumors. I mean, there's just so many things that go into it. And you have to, you have to remember that you're an individual and there's as random as it is that I got cancer is also as individual as it is that, you know, what my treatment, my prognosis, you know, what my experience is going to be. Yeah, I, I, that's such a powerful statement. I just think we, we're all used to looking at numbers and percentages and odds. And, and it's just, you know, we live in, in a world where every, there's so many treatment option decisions. And we're all so different. Like all of us are different genetically. We have different histories. We have different family that we come from. So uh, it sounds like you had a lot of access to technical expertise, right? And people who are in medicine, you work in, a, in healthcare. Where did you go for emotional support? right? Uh, you're a uh, single parent. You've got two children. You're doing a lot. Uh, I know. Uh, how did you like, how did you cope with this emotionally? What did you do? Um, so <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you a funny story. I, um, when I was diagnosed, I called my brother and my, actually I called my sister-in-law because she's a physician. And mm-hmm. I just, I just needed to anchor emotionally with somebody that understood the science, the medicine part of it. I just needed to get anchored there. So I called her and I just sort of broke down when she answered the phone and said, this is happening and I'm scared and I'm going to be okay. Right. And she's like, yeah, you're going to be okay. And then she said, but I have to tell you, so I'm getting a little emotional, but it's, it's kind of funny too. 
He's like, I have to tell you that I'm in the car with Steve, my brother, and my two nieces who were young adults. She goes, and Carrie, who's my stepdad, and you're on speakerphone. And I was like, oh, no. oh, oh. <laughs> so all these people, I felt horrible because all these people who I care about that I would have preferred to protect a little bit, that's how they learned. And um, it was kind of messy, but kind of beautiful. And they all agreed that I wouldn't tell my mom that uh, they would, they would, my brother would talk to her and, and my sister-in-law would talk to her and be able to answer questions when they saw her in person. Um, because that was the one relationship I was most scared about because I knew it would just emotionally be so hard for her. And I just was not ready to carry anybody else's, aside from my kids' feelings about this. Right. Um, but, I, you know, I really focus on mindset. Uh, I really, I have a wonderful wellness community that I tap into. Um, you know, did your relationship, did your relationship with your family change in that moment? Like, is, mm -hmm. did, did they treat you differently? Do your friend, you know, I always wonder like mm -hmm. when there's something that happens to us, right. The world sees us in a different light. And I, I think that that process, right. Of kind of, you, it's almost like a, you have to find a new identities in some way in that. Did, did that happen to you or. Uh, with my family. Um, no, I mean, I think that my stepdad and I have gotten a lot closer. Um, he and I are, we were close, but we got a lot closer. Um, we, we've had a lot more authentic conversations about feelings that maybe we hadn't had in the past. And it's been a really good thing. Um, you know, my brother's still my brother. So he still treats <laughs> me like my older brother, except that I do notice that he is, a, he's a lot more like, proud of me for the things I do you know I just painted my house beautiful. He's like my yep. biggest cheerleader now which before he would have been like whatever people paint their house you know <laughs> so I mean there's little cracks that yeah. way um but uh you know I think um I'm a pretty authentic person and so I think most people that interact with me um I'm pretty okay with them being uncomfortable and and I let them know that that's a safe safe space so I, that's a, it's a hard question to ask. People do disappear, though. I mean, people, you know, everyone mentions that people do disappear, uh, and I, you know, I don't take that personal. I view that as a representation, sort of a, a reflection of their capacity for handling things that really have nothing to do with me. Doesn't make it, you know, less painful necessarily, but you know, people do disappear. But um, but the relationships that stay, they just, uh, you know, I feel like get stronger. It, it sounds like your your kids were older. How did you handle the situation in talking mm -hmm. with with them? Is that what you said that was the first thing that came to mind? Was oh, how, how are my children? I'm a parent, so I first thing comes to mind for me as well. Like, how did you handle that discussion? Yeah, it's interesting because when people talk about their kids, you know, in social media and other stuff, people tend to focus on really young kids, like oh, these this, these poor babies. You know, my kids are. 12 and 17 and so their awareness and their need for me as they're going through some pretty big transitions right. at that age uh, to me is it was huge um you know I've always had a pretty frank open relationship with them so I, I you know I sat them down and I told them and I was willing to answer any questions um my you know I had this I had this little mantra in my head the fear I had was, you know, I didn't want my cancer to hijack their childhood. 
you know, I didn't want them to be the kid who's like, you know, basically I, I had to quit being a kid when I was 12 because my mom got cancer. I, I didn't want that to happen. So I really focused on trying to create a balance where, you know, they got to still be kids and uh, my cancer wasn't always the, the center of yeah. everything, but, but also honor that they wanted to be able to take care of me and do things for me. Um, but, you know, my kids are, they're very different. My 12 year old, he's now 14. Uh, he's really extroverted and he's an athlete. So his attitude was like, whatever, you work out all the time, you're strong, you'll be fine. You know, as long as he was seeing action happening and mm -hmm. it was, everything was, went really well. He was like, whatever. It's like out of sight, out of mind. The only time he would show like outwardly a lot of concern is like on some chemo days where I was sleeping a lot or something like that. My older son, who's um, a bit more sensitive and introverted, he, he was doing a lot of checking in with me. Do you need anything? Can I get you that? He became a bit more protective and, and caring, but he still, I ask him now, you know, are you worried about a reoccurrence? Are you, how do you feel? He's like, no, you're fine. You're strong. You know, he's yeah. like, why worry about it if there's nothing to worry about right now? So they, they handled it probably better than anybody, to be honest, uh, which, you know, brings me a significant joy. Well, Shani, I, I love what you said, which is um, you didn't want it to become like it took away their their childhood. That's I completely identify with that that sentiment. That's such a beautiful thing. So, um, you know, I always ask people if there's one thing, is there like a, a particular um, piece of advice or information, something you did, right, uh, a piece of wisdom that you feel every person should have out there that you learned going through this journey? What's the the kind of take home message for you? Sure. I, so, you know, when I, when I was diagnosed, everything just sort of happened for me. Uh, I'm at Oregon Health and Sciences University here in Portland. Mm -hmm. um, they approached me immediately, um, the, the tumor board, about enrolling in a trial, which I'm still right. in. Um, I had surgery right away. I got, you know, everything happened right away. And has just, I've had this amazing team. Um, so I think my advice, though, is that you really have to make sure that you align mentally and physically, you know, in terms of what you want for yourself and your care with your care team. I see so many people on social media who don't trust their providers or they don't like their provider or they, you know, they don't feel heard or, or the provider wants something different for them than maybe they're expressing to the rest of us. And I just think it's really, really important that there's alignment there. If you want to have more aggressive treatment, if that's your approach and your style, you need to find a care team that aligns with that and is willing to be more aggressive. If you're someone who maybe, um, you know, is going for quality over, you know, how long you can stay alive, like that's going to matter too. Like you really need to make sure that there's alignment there because that alone is going to um, change your entire experience. Like you have so it's really, you got to have the right team. And it sounds like you have to be on the same page as that team. You have to tell them what you want, right? And they need to also believe that that's what should be, ha that's what your care should be like. That, that sounds critical. Right. Like if you want to, you know, if you're pushing for having liver resection, you need a team that's going to talk to you about if that's possible or not. If, if right. you know, if that's what you want and you walk in and, and your oncologist says, 
yeah, this, it's not a possibility and they're not even going to entertain the conversation, that's probably not a good fit, right? Like you need to be able to have those conversations mm -hmm. and, and align that way. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you, Shady. I really appreciate it. Um, it sounds like you have a wonderful care team, uh, wonderful institution, certainly. Excellent. And yeah, thank you. And thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Bye. Bye.